podcast, where you'll hear truly scary stories that you cannot get out of your head. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. As we pulled up to the cabin, I felt immediate regret that I'd been such a pain in the ass about this trip. I mean, I hadn't been awful, but I certainly hadn't gone out of my way to express excitement to visit my girlfriend's childhood home in Indiana. She explained that it was a cabin on Lake Michigan, but for a California boy, that's like trying to explain the benefits of spending time on Mars. I didn't understand that Lake Michigan is like an ocean without the smell of dead fish or the threat of mouthfuls of salt water, and I didn't understand how devastatingly charming her childhood home was going to be. It was a picture-perfect two-story log cabin nestled into an enormous dune and was the kind of place people spend thousands of dollars to seek out and enjoy for a weekend. This vacation was going to fucking rule. You grew up here? I exclaimed, making no attempt to conceal my surprise and delight. Her eyes sparkled with my sudden turn of mood, and instead of gloating or admonishing me for my doubt like a lesser person would, she simply smiled her spectacular smile and said, Come on. As I followed her into our retreat for the week, I was struck with the intense clarity that I was definitely going to tell her I loved her in the next couple of days. We'd been playing around with various versions of the declaration for weeks, barely able to keep it to ourselves, but with the silent understanding that we were each enjoying the anticipation of it finally happening. But watching this beautiful woman with her perfect style and long legs and expansive heart and mind as she led me into the fairy tale home of her youth, I knew those three words were going to explode out of me this weekend, and it would be perfect. She was perfect. We were perfect. We settled in that night and she made a beautiful roast chicken for dinner while I relaxed with a glass of whiskey on the screened in porch overlooking the endless woods surrounding the place and contemplated why we were working so hard to pay such insane rents in the city we used less and less as we got older and had to work harder and harder to pay insane rents and on and on. I dreamed about saying I love you followed by will you marry me followed by finding a perfect cabin in a perfect woods and raising our kids on a lake shore and strapped to our backs while we hiked and leaving that rat race behind. Again, I kicked myself for doubting this vacation and hanging on so tight to the work and life we left behind in San Francisco. More than that, I kicked myself for doubting her. She made everything better. She made me better, and I was so excited to spend this time peeking into the past of the golden girl who'd miraculously felt the same way about me that I did about her. How the fuck did I get so lucky? I asked myself as I took a final sip of whiskey and got up to help her set the table. The next day, we got up early and went to the beach. We packed a picnic so we could spend all day reading and relaxing and getting the perfect buzz on the cooler full of shitty beers we brought along. When our bodies were sufficiently baked and our heads gloriously fuzzy, we headed home to poke around in her beautiful childhood cabin. Her parents had relocated overseas after her dad retired, but it decided to keep the cabin as a place to land when family or other responsibilities called them back. Lauren... Oh, by the way, my girlfriend's name is Lauren, had an older sister who had a couple of young kids, and so there was still pull to come home on occasion, and besides, the sisters and the nieces and nephews would enjoy it in between. We opened a bottle of wine and brought it into her childhood bedroom so she could give a show and tell of her formative years. 
As she dragged the boxes from the closet, I scanned the photos jammed around every inch of her vanity. Photos of her and a rotating cast of girlfriends hugging and posing and throwing peace signs and trying on the early and various personalities a typical girl rotates through in her teens and early 20s. Lauren looked slightly shy but effortless, and somehow she seemed to skip the crippling awkwardness most teens and preteens have to endure. Even as a teen, she seemed wise beyond her years, and her whole face smiled like it contained all of the beauty and happiness of the entire world, and there was room for everyone to share in the joy she was experiencing. I smiled again at my luck in having found her, and turned to dive into the teen treasures she had already begun to rifle through with a look of contented nostalgia across her face. I chose the box she left unopened and started my journey through young Lauren, pausing to ask her about a particularly embarrassing poem I found scrolled in a notebook or the significance of an award or a concert ticket. I removed a yearbook as I reached near the bottom of the box and paused for a moment, puzzling over what I found underneath. Under the yearbook was a medium-sized piece of cardboard covered in strips of slightly overlapping packing tape in what appeared to be an amateur attempt at laminating. Beneath the lamination, someone had written something in an awkward but specific pattern across the length of the board, and when I picked it up and flipped it over, it became immediately clear. It was a Ouija board, clearly constructed by young hands ages ago. Well, 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 what is this? You didn't tell me you dabbled in the occult, I joked as I handed the board over for her to see. She looked up, and it took a moment for her to register what I was holding, and when she did, the faintest darkness passed across her previously smiling eyes. Wait, what? She said, snatching the board from my hand. There's no way. No way. She carefully studied the board, her face conveying her surprise, mixed with awe, and... Was that fear? I wondered. Yes. I decided as I studied her more closely. She was trying to hide it, but she definitely looked afraid. I'm not gonna lie, I'm kind of freaking out right now, she said and looked up at me, still smiling but with the edges tinged with worry. My big sister made this when we were kids. She went to a boy-girl party, she said, and threw up air quotes at the mention of the juvenile term, and they played Ouija there, and she came home totally obsessed. She was always into that kind of stuff, you know, horror movies and Stephen King books, but in a fun way, and she was so excited that they'd actually gotten the board to work and was dying to do it again. Our parents would never have allowed her to get an actual Ouija board, and so we made this one. She held up the board for emphasis and went on. She made me play, and I was still pretty little, like 10 or 11, and I was pretty freaked out, but she'd reached the age where she didn't want to have much to do with me, so I played it because I was excited to spend time with her and help her do something she seemed so excited to do. She even made the little thing. What's it called? She started digging in the box, clearly looking for the little thing she was referencing, and came up with it in her hand a moment later. A planchette, she exclaimed, holding it out for me to take. She even made this freaking planchette. Planchette was a wonky but damn good approximation of a professional Ouija planchette, and it had also been laminated in packing tape and little pieces of fake fur had been attached to the bottom so it could slide across the board. Lauren went on, sort of breathless at this point. God, I never would have thought of this again if you hadn't found this thing. So she made this and we tried it and it actually worked, like right away. As soon as we tried to make it talk, it started moving and making words. She was so excited and was convinced that she and I were more powerful at making it work because we were sisters or something. And every time her parents were gone, she'd pull out the board and we'd talk to our friends. She made the finger quotations again when she said this and her eyes grew a little wider. We really talked to these people and like got to know them. I remember there was a guy named Brian and one named Lake, which is such a specific name, right? Like what preteen in the 90s would come up with the name Lake? 
She shivered when she said this and went on. Lake was my sister's favorite, and we talked to him the most, I remember. I don't really remember any specifics, but I remember him saying that he lived in this house a long, long time ago, and he was always, like, kind of spacey-seeming, but definitely nice. Spacey? I laughed. A spirit can come across as spacey? Lauren giggled, still with a look on her face like she was trying to access deeply buried memories. Like she could almost see what she was looking for, but time was holding the pieces back, eking out just enough to paint a fractured picture. I know, it's hard to explain. It was like everything he said made sense, but just sort of. He would reference a wife or kids, but not in the way that you or I would. It felt more abstract, like he was guessing at how life works or mimicking something he'd seen. Okay, I shrugged, not really getting it at all. I mean, I'd never spoken to a spirit, so I imagine that experience would be a little disorienting, but I had nothing to compare it to, so just sat there, sort of silent in my bewilderment. Yeah, we talked to him for weeks, maybe even months, and then one day things started to change. Like, he started to say things that felt mean, and kind of scary. Nothing too crazy, but it felt like kind of a bait and switch. Like the person we'd been talking to had been pretending to be kind, but wasn't. God, I wish I could remember an example, but I can feel the feeling so clearly. I remember feeling confused and kind of scared, but not scared in a way I'd ever felt before or felt since. I just felt sort of outside of my body, disconnected and like keenly aware that something wasn't right. Yikes, I interjected lamely. I wanted to stop, but my sister was still so into it. She insisted we keep talking to people, including Lake, and then finally one day he said something that freaked us out so much we never played again. Well, what was it? I asked, intrigued to find out what could have been so scary it would have broken the spell. Oh god, I can't even say it. It's too scary. Come on, now I'm dying to know. Did he say he'd, like, eat your blood or something? She shoved me a little and laughed lightly. No, it's even scarier. Oh, it gives me the shivers just thinking about it. What? Come on, I'm, like, on the edge of my seat here. Well, we asked him how he died, and he just said, Tiller. He wrote the word Tiller over and over again. Wait, what? Tiller? Like the farm equipment? I erupted into laughter, falling backward on my elbows and almost spilling my wine. Yes, she said, eyes wide and lacking amusement. It's so scary. It's not really, I argued. It's kind of funny. Are you kidding? It's so specific. Like, why would he say Tiller? It's so creepy, she shivered again. And we wouldn't have come up with that word. It just scared the shit out of us. Yeah, I guess I can get that, I affirmed. It scared us so badly we swore this thing off, she said, nodding toward the homemade board. And the weird thing is, I could have sworn we threw it away. Like, I watched my sister throw it away. Maybe she snuck it out of the trash when you weren't looking, I asked. Yeah, probably. I just hope she didn't play it by herself. And it's silly, but you're not supposed to play it by yourself or bad things will happen. Like what? She laughed and looked a little embarrassed. Like you'll get possessed or let the spirit out or something? Ooh, I joked and made ghost hands that I then used to pounce her and tickle her. Stop! She squealed and rolled out of my grasp. She eyed the bottle of wine from her place on the floor. We're out of wine. Well, that's the most terrifying thing I've ever heard. I'll be back, I said. I scooped up the bottle and headed downstairs. I glanced back on the way down and saw Lauren nudging the planchette with her index finger like it was a dead mouse. I increased my pace down the stairs, excited for another perfect night ahead of us.
The next day, we took a hike in the dunes surrounding the lake and then hopped a few breweries, snacking on locally sourced burgers and blueberry desserts. In my mind, San Francisco was shifting from the bustling, cosmopolitan playground it had been for me for so many years to an overpriced, overcrowded, hostile burden. I hadn't been this happy or relaxed in years and hadn't realized just how stressed out and almost jaded I'd become. I was finding myself filled with delight at the view of the lake at the crest of the dune and the quirky barn we wandered into that sold spiked cider and mid-century antiques. Delight. I honestly couldn't remember the last time I'd experienced delight. My timeline for marriage and moving to the Midwest was rapidly speeding up and I had to stop myself and take deep breaths a few times to keep from blurting out a proposal. I did, however, finally say the L word, and it felt better than anything I'd felt in my entire life, like taking my first breath or eating a steak after a stretch on a deserted island. We took a detour to watch the sunset over the lake, and it's so cliche, but it was absolutely perfect. I took her hands and said the words, and her eyes welled up a little, and without hesitation, she said them back. It was perfect. For the first time in my life, everything felt perfect. I relished the moment, seeing clearly how absolutely and undeniably lucky I was, and we sat hand in hand until the sun was gone and our stomachs growled for more delicious farm-to-table fare, and we headed out to see what other delights we could rustle up, heads buzzing with newly swapped declarations of love, and how bright our future together seemed to be shining. Lauren went to bed early, perfectly tipsy and exhausted from our adventures. I was a little jacked up from our big day, so I stayed on to read and wind down. I found an exceedingly comfortable overstuffed chair and settled in, only half reading as my thoughts constantly trailed back to the perfect afternoon and evening and visions of Laura looking so perfect and perfectly in love with me. About an hour into my reading, I started to hear something strange from some unknown source. It was very soft at first, just like a slight rustling sound, and I brushed it off as a branch scraping somewhere outside, but it quickly grew to a much more distinct scratching sound. I stopped reading and strained my ears to identify the origin of the unsettling sound, and it didn't take long to confirm that it was definitely coming from somewhere inside the room. I wasn't too concerned, considering I was in a log cabin in the middle of the woods, so I went back to my book, but as soon as I did, it ratcheted up the volume just enough that I couldn't ignore it. It suddenly and very distinctly sounded like someone scratching on the wall. I closed my book, and training my ear toward the sound, I tentatively inched toward it. It was a persistent, rhythmic... And it didn't sound, like, urgent necessarily, but there was something in the intensity of the scratching that was deeply unsettling. I made my way across the dimly lit room into an eight-foot-tall log sort of partition between the dining area and the bathroom door. It was purely decorative, just obviously put there to visually block people in the dining room from seeing into the bathroom, so you could see both sides of the wall if you stood to the side of it. Staring at the partition, I knew instantly that the scratching was coming from that specific part of the room, but my mind struggled to understand how that could be possible, because I could see both sides of the wall and there was no one there. No person or animal scratching away at the partition, but still the sound persisted. I slowly walked to one side of the wall, and the sound of scratching was very clearly coming from the other side. I pressed my ear to the partition and could hear the slight snag of whatever was dragging against the partition as it brushed the stacked fibrous pine it was comprised of. I held my ear there for a few seconds, taking in the... 
while my mind flipped through all the different potential perpetrators of the scratching but landed on none. It sounded like a human finger, like scratching against the wall, but there were no other humans in the room with me, so it was impossible. I quickly swiveled around to the other side of the partition, hoping to catch my strange tormentor, but there was no one there. Even more disturbing, the sound immediately shifted and the scratching was suddenly coming from the other side of the wall I'd just been on. It didn't make any sense, but it was clearly coming from the other side. I stood in a sort of shock, starting to feel the very first inkling of a low-grade madness tickling at the base of my skull. I was still very much aware of what was going on and what was happening, but it just didn't make sense. And the longer the went on, the more sinister it sounded. This wasn't a trapped animal or a large bug, and there was no wall for someone or something to be trapped inside. It was an invisible presence beckoning, or even worse, trying to get inside. Inside where? I asked myself out loud. There was no outside, so there could be no inside, but I couldn't shake the feeling that whatever this was wanted in. I shivered despite the warm summer air circulating through the room and contemplated what to do next. Wake up Lauren? Call the police? Hack the partition to bits? The one thing I knew for sure is that I couldn't endure the perverse scraping much longer, and just as I made a move to wake up Lauren to help me decide what to do, it stopped. I didn't realize how loud the sound had grown until it was gone and my ears tingled from the relief of the sudden absence of that malevolent scratching, and I breathed an enormous sigh of relief. I knew I'd never be able to explain away what I'd just encountered, but I was so glad that it was over I didn't even try. I found a half-full bottle of whiskey, took an enormous swig to reignite the delicious warm buzz I'd had earlier, and got immediately into bed next to my beautiful Lauren. I snuggled close, relishing in the safety and warmth that washed over me being next to her. I didn't even have a second to think about the sound again as I immediately drifted into the deep, heavy escape of sleep. I woke up the next morning to the sun streaming gloriously into the bedroom and the most perfect late summer breeze coming through the window. The world smelled lush and alive like it does at the peak of the warm months, and I was excited for another day in this unexpected paradise. Memories of the scratching from the night before briefly entered my thoughts, but in the light of day it was so easy to push them away. It had obviously been some sort of strange bug or rodent that I didn't know about having never lived in the country. I laughed at myself a little, having made such a big deal out of nothing. I'd get used to this life eventually, settle into the critters and slow pace and glorious long summer days and winter nights. I smiled thinking about the day before with Lauren, about saying I love you and the perfect feeling flooded my body once again. I could sense her next to me and turned over to greet my perfect love. But when my eyes met hers, my heart stopped. I was looking at her glorious face, but it was suddenly the most horrifying thing I'd ever seen. Her eyes were wide, unblinking, and awful. Her mouth smiled, but her teeth were clenched together as if to hold something inside her mouth. She didn't blink or move, but her breath began to inhale and exhale horribly through her clenched, smiling teeth. She was staring into my eyes, and despite her awful smile, I could tell that she absolutely fucking hated me. There was pure evil radiating from her smile and her eyes, and I was totally terrified of the woman I loved so much. Sweetie, I whispered barely able to get the word out of my mouth. I was so scared. I was too afraid to move or touch her, and her breath increased in its awful inhalation and exhalations like a bowl revving up to charge. I stared at her for a few more seconds, mesmerized by her evil breathing and sinister smile, and just when I was about to say her name, the breathing very abruptly stopped, and her mouth opened with a terribly moist sound that made my blood run cold. Her eyes remained hard and unblinking, 
as she whispered one word. And from below the blankets, her arm moved toward me, and I felt the sudden searing pain of a very large knife being plunged into my stomach. Tiller! This story was written by Courtney Eck and narrated by Courtney Eck. For more scary stories that you cannot get out of your head, please join our Patreon at pleaseleave-patreonpod.com. Please follow Please Leave on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at Please Leave Pod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com, and our website is pleaseleavepod.com. This has been a Two Penguins Media Production. Whack.